Welcome to another episode of Frontline Magic Podcast. In this episode, we are talking to Adrian Swinskill. He's a teacher, economist, manager of businesses, and leader of teams, and has worked with some of the best-known CX companies like Apple, Costa Coffee, TUI, and many more. He's also the author of the book Punk CX. In this episode, we caught up with him about how harnessing your inner punk to transform your customer experience might look like. Tag along. Bit about me, I have done various things throughout my, I feel like, work journey. As a background, I'm a trained economist and I also trained teacher, did both both here in the UK and overseas over the course of the sort of the 90s, both in the whole and worked as an economist, both in the public and private sector. And then I got an MBA, worked in the corporate sector for a number of years, sort of building things, new customer value propositions within corporate environments for a few years. And then from about 2004, left that environment, decided I was going to row my own boat, did that for a number of years i figured out was that it actually quite the idea of working independently so i started writing about some stuff just general stuff to start with and, and that got very boring very quickly and so i figured out that if i wanted to write about something that kind of to make a difference have an impact and i want i needed to write about stuff that i cared about or that i didn't like and wanted to change and so i figured mm-hmm. out quite quickly that i didn't like bad service or i don't like bad service and it frustrates me how many organizations get in the way of their people doing a good job and so that's the thing I started to explore yeah and I've been doing that for about the last sort of 12 years or so and over that course of the that 12 years of my blog and I've, I've written three books the last sort of 12 years I've been able to develop a portfolio of work where I, I get to work with all sorts of different sort of people doing various things helping them make decisions, workshops, all that type of stuff, capacity building to do some speaking and writing and research. I get to, I get paid to do stuff I like with people. I like. That's awesome. And some of the brands that you have been working with are quite known for great customer experience. What do you think other businesses can learn from them and their experience? I can't really talk about them specifically, about some of this stuff. I think the thing I would say, the commonality, the things that they do is one is that they are very open to new things and just to be to improving they don't rest on the laurels they're very and they're quite intense but they're very humble if you know what i mean yeah they just want to do better and they're always looking for opportunities to do better in different ways whilst they're also innovative and they're looking for new things they're they're not just looking for new things they're also willing to constantly improve on what they've got Mm. and they know it's a relentless thing Everything's about improving constantly. And I think that's fascinating. And I wrote this piece the other day, and the title, the putative title, well, the suggested title, rather, of the piece was The Future of Customer Experience. Mm. And to a long story short, I went to an event. The MC came to me first on the panel, and he said, look, look, I've asked you to transport yourself five years into the future. And... Tell me what you in terms of customer experience. But I know something popped into my head, my head and I said, look, I think we'll be excited about the possibilities that the future holds for us. But we will be frustrated at the progress that we've made. Mm. And I think that's almost like a constant state of generally 
of not everybody, but people that are sitting the average or they're in the kind of the main body, as it were. They're in the pack. Mm. Because actually the best people, the people that lead, and, and this includes many of the people that, that, that I've, I've had a, the, the pleasure of working with in whatever form that is, is that they know that looking to the future and, and future changes in technology and different ways of working and stuff is really important. But that's completely immaterial if you don't get what's happening here and now right. The truth of the matter is the future, or your future, is always built in the present. And the kind of people that do things well realize that actually being brilliant in the here and now and consistently brilliant in the here and now Mm. is just as important as being on top of technological trends and doing kind of new and different and interesting kind of things. But most people get caught up and they forget about the here and now. But actually, it's only here and now with which our customers spend our money. And how do you in the best way capture that moment so you then can transfer it to the future i think the thing is you've got to it all comes from understanding your customers i I believe and then actually kind of having a dialogue with them now that Mm. could be it could be by proxy through speaking to the people that deal with your customers i.e your employees or your agents or whoever they might be or and or the the data that they they give to you through their actions whether that is forthcoming via surveys or just operationally what do they do what's their history tell you yeah but but always involving them in a conversation as well around what's happening right now what can be fixed now and then not necessarily just asking them about what they would like to see because customers don't really know what they want yeah but if you ask somebody like do you want more money yes of course i do and sometimes you get like silly responses everybody's going to say yes to that or do you want more of this if i can charge you you can like the same price yeah why not but see, so I think the, the, what we've got to do is you've got to have that conversation, but a, a conversation which is useful. Sometimes you've got to show people this idea of care creation, as it were. Work with your customers. Want people, they spend money with com- companies for a reason. One, because they get what they want, but they want that company to be successful. Because here's the thing, from a really selfish reason, they don't want to have to change. They've gone, I've made up my mind, I'm over here, but I don't want to go looking for another supplier or another business or another brand. So how do we understand the high quality that you know that drives customer to come to your business? And how do we make the most out of retaining the, the happy customer and make sure that we over-deliver or at least deliver to a promise so they keep well, on that's, coming? People are smart, right? Generally, people are, are smart. They get this idea that if you're... Oh, uh, Constantly underplaying what you're going to do and then coming up and, and over-delivering. They look at it just go, well, I don't believe what you're saying. Basically, keep your promises. Make promises keep them. The science has shown us that we value the avoidance of risk, disappointment, and failure. Some are between 5 and 17 times, or 5 or 12 times, something like that. It's 5 or five plus, let's say. Yeah. We value the avoidance of that between say five and 10 times more than any joy, surprise, or delight. So for us as a brand or as a person, we have to do those sort of things, which is get the basics right, but not the basics of what you think they are, but the basics that their customers, yeah. the basics count for everything. If you think about all those kind of brands, the brands that you hold up as being the best and have always been the best. Here's the thing. 
This, their secrets are hiding in plain sight. They're like going, we just do this stuff. That's how we do it. And we do it all day, every day in a day out. And the reason why people don't catch up to them is because they're not willing to do that hard work. And it's easy to say it's so hard to do. But how do you get that across from the all the way from the front line to the back office to really deliver that key service that the customer will wanting to have or expect? So I think that it starts with it starts with leadership. So then as a leader, as a manager, as a supervisor, I guess it starts with you. You've got to ask yourself, what have you done today to make the jobs of the people that work for you easier, which has allowed them to do a better job? If you don't answer that question, if you, if you say mm, nothing, okay, fine, you haven't done your job today. Mm. That's it. There is no magic bullet. People have to want to show up. So there is a responsibility on both sides of the, the equation. I see a whole number of leaders, people in leadership positions, all the way up to kind of boardroom, they go, blah, 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 blah. it's all talk. And you're like, you're in it for yourself. You should step off. You're not willing to do the work and be true to yourself, to your stakeholders, your people and your customers. You should step off, step aside, let somebody else with more heart and passion. And the same goes from that person all the way down to the front line. And I think for me, it's the personal accountability and personal responsibility. If you have that in your business all the way through, you're going to smash it. Mm. Where would that come in? Does that come in the hiring process? Or when do you know that you're hiring the right people? If you're an established organization that's harder to change mm. it'll take a longer time to change but you actually have to set the tone at a leadership level but you also have to set the tone and also walk the talk as it were it just takes a long time and what's the um secret to deliver that magic like consistently and then do it in a bigger scale it's easier for a small business to do it. A bigger business will take longer time. Where do you start and and how do you do it? I think the key with any of these things, and this is why if you're it, doing it at scale, this is why most of the time anyway, it gets really hard. These big change, culture change projects, they, they don't work. It's because more often than not, they forget sort of the communication or the involvement part of it. And, and they don't bring a lot of their people with them. They don't involve them. And that's the, it's the, bit, the funny thing about people is we don't like having stuff done to us. We're like doing stuff. Mm. Where should it start if you're going through this? Um, structure or change or trying to put out new values of vision and mission, where do you start as the leader? You start, you, start, you start everywhere, and that sounds silly, um, but it's true. I'll tell you a story about a guy that I that he told me a story once. He's a Dutch guy called uh, Martijn, Martijn Grebenau, and he's worked for a, a number of different big organizations doing big sort of change projects. And 
he's a really interesting example of what it, I think what it takes to deliver some of these different things or to be at the center of delivering some of these big change programs. And his approach is something that you can scale up and scale down sort of thing. Mm. First thing he does when he goes in, when he takes a new job is he goes and works as an intern. He goes and works as an intern for a month. And that helps him understand what's possible to change and what's easier to change than other, than other things. You get like an honest view of it. He just comes in and does it. And then he splits his time into three. He's, he generally spends about a third of his time talking to people on the front line. Just going and hanging out and understanding the work and what that means and learning from the people that are actually doing the job. Speaking to customers or dealing with customers, that could be anything from contact center to delivery to invoicing to legal to whatever it might be. All that where the organization hits, hits the customer. Then he spends another third of his time just wandering about, getting to know other parts of the business and understanding how everything all connects. The remaining third of his time, he reserves for doing his proper work. And I think that's interesting because it's not, it shows you the orientation in terms of the problems out loud. It's like Einstein once said, if you give me an hour to solve a problem, I'll spend 55 minutes thinking about the problem and then five minutes thinking about the solution. Unfortunately, if you think about how we manage our time, we tend to do the opposite, right? We spend most of our time trying to figure out the solution rather than thinking about the problem. Mm. What Martin does spends sort of two thirds of his time thinking about the problem. Yeah. And then a third of his time figuring out a solution. Mm. Yeah, I think, that's that's really... pretty, I think that's pretty clever. We're too quick to try and fix something. Yeah. And it's hard to achieve that, though. And do you find a lot of businesses also being afraid of talking to their customers because they don't want to hear the truth? Or like when you work with businesses, what's if you tell yeah. them to go out and talk to the, to the customer, what would they say? Oh, you get all sorts of different responses. The best one is, oh, I don't have time to do that. You're like, really? You're telling me you've got more important things to do than talk to your customers. Explain that to me. But also the, the mm -hmm. other thing I think about it, there's a, a really great question it comes from a company called Big Ass Fans from a number of years ago. And they drove a lot of their, their growth in their business by setting up a team to go out and speak to the customers. They basically said to them, is there anything that we do, however small that annoys or irritates you? And keep asking those questions. The customer, anything about instructions, delivery, design, packaging, all of that sort of stuff. They kept bringing that back to their business and then thinking about the, the, what the feedback they were giving and then building that, those changes back into the business. That drove the six-fold growth of their business over about six or seven years. Those small things, those annoyances or irritants, that we just dismiss as insignificant. Ah, oh, they're just one of those things. As companies, but also as customers, nah, it's fine. Mm. 
Mm. Right? There's little things. You take a lot of those little things, it add up to a big heap of stuff. Yeah. If you think about it, think about the artist, the world-famous artist, the loaded artist, or the sports mm. star, or whatever. And everybody sees they can either the beautiful painting or the magnificent performance or the gold medal kind of winning run. That is a product of the work that gets done every day for years. Small improvements every day. And I think if you see that's something that you see, especially with sport athletes as well, that they... They're not about running faster for 10 minutes faster. They're about running like 100 milliseconds faster. And that's when they're going to win the goal. It's small improvements every day that will give them the the gold medal in the end. And that is the work. And if you don't get that, you don't really get that. And you're right in the bottom of the pit of your belly sort of thing. There's Mm. no magic here. Yeah, you talk about kind of the magic about conversation. I can't remember the exact word, but you talk about frontline magic or something. Yeah, how do you create that magic in the frontline? Magician knows that the like the trick, right? The thing that you that work is a product of a whole bunch of work. The magic, the truth to magic is that it's about work. Yeah, and. You, the the frontline magic, the stuff that either a customer or a colleague experiences is a process, you know, they're just moments. Mm. And it's not moments that, that happen all of the time, but they're just moments because guess what? In that moment that you're at, that you're called upon to show up, that mm. you're prepared then that's when the magic happens. Because mm. you're prepared, you're supported, you're enabled, you're empowered, you're doing all of these different sort of things. Talk to the people that are dealing with customers on a day-to-day or hour-by-hour kind of basis. Yeah. They will kind of pretty much tell you everything you need to know. One final story for you. I remember talking to a friend of mine, he told me a story about a bank that were doing a, they wanted to improve their mortgage approval process. So they they were like, brilliant. So they said, what we're going to do, we're going to gather all the data. We're going to hire this data analytics team. They're going to go and do and crunch all the numbers and everything else. And they're going to come up with some big suggestions around what are the most impactful things we should do to, um, to, to, to improve or make our mortgage approval process more efficient. So they went off, came in, this data analytics team kind of came in, gathered all this data, went away, and crunched the numbers to about six weeks or something. In the meantime, some bright spark went to the contact center and took about, it's about eight to 10 frontline agents on their lunch hour or so, took them into a room, gave some teas and coffees, brought in a tray of donuts. He said, look, can you help me kind of come up with a list of the top 10 problems that our customers face when it comes to our mortgage approval process. Mm. In 30 minutes, they, were, they were, came up with a kind of a list, an agreed list between all of them, because here's the top 10 problems. Yeah. If, we were, if we were them, we would solve these things. We would make these things easier. So they did that, 30 minutes. The data analytics team came back six weeks later to prove yeah. that the agents were effectively 80% correct. 
So you end up with a situation is, do you want to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds or dollars and time and effort and resources to be 100% right? Mm. Or would you rather spend a tray of donuts in 30 minutes yeah. and be 80% and get all the kind of the value that comes from engaging and respecting your frontline people? Yeah. Sometimes we forget that the, the best resources actually already exist within the company and they are the ones who understand the customer, the best people in the front line. Ed, Edmund Burke mm. said it really well. But he, he basically kind of like said in front of us, all our history. It's up to us to go and look at our history and learn from it or else we, yeah. it will tell us everything we need to know. Awesome. Thank you, Adrian, for taking the time to talk with me. And if you want to hear more from Adrian, he actually got a podcast called Punk CX. So look him up and thank you, Adrian. Thank you for listening to Frontline Medic Podcast, brought to you by Ask Nicely. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please give it a five-star rating. And remember to visit frontlinemedic.org and sign up to our community for free. Frontline Magic Community is there to help you bring out the best in your frontline staff. And you can access tools, inspirational stories, and content that will help you create a great customer experience at the frontline.